So Abby and I are doing a little tag team this morning. If you're not sure who I am, by the way, I'm Matt. Apologies for not having introduced myself until after 11 o'clock. But if you're new, you're very, very welcome here today. A um, couple of questions. Could you just uh, give me a wave if you've got blue eyes? Ooh, quite a few. Could you give us a wave if you've got brown hair? Could you give me a wave if you're wearing glasses this morning? Could you give me a wave if your parents were not born here in Teesside? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I want you to just imagine for a second if one of your groups wasn't allowed to get very far into church this morning. If we said, no, you're, I'm sorry, you're in the cheap seats at the back. I don't know how you'd feel about that. It would be quite odd, wouldn't it? Like we'd have welcome on the outside of the building and then you'd walk in and about like three metres in, there'd be this sign that would say, no further, please. It's only certain people who could come forwards. Um, this, oh, come on, the power. Come on. There we go. This was, is, in fact, is still there today. It's in the temple in Jerusalem. And this was the sign that was put up partway through the temple to say, if you're not a Jew or you're not holy, you can't go any further. That's it for you. And I don't know if you can even imagine how that would feel, that you're partway through, but God says no. And the people who are around you would also say, no, you're not welcome to go in any further. Today we're thinking a little bit about what it means to come to Jesus and then what does it mean to journey with Jesus for the rest of our lives. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, which we get our readings from today, today he says this in verse 14, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Quite like the idea that Jesus was a builder and he might be here this morning with his chisel And saying, what are the things that hold you back? What are the things that make you say, I've got to stay in the cheap seats. I'm not allowed to come closer to God. Not that the people in the front rows are any closer. But what are the things that hold us back? And that we might say, oh, well, I don't preach, so I'm not as welcome as so-and-so. Or I'm only on three rotors instead of seven, so I'm not welcome. Or... You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of things which sometimes hold us back and we can find ourselves feeling on the outside. But Jesus, the builder, with his chisel, chipping away at the wall and saying, no, that sign doesn't exist for you. You are really, really welcome. Jesus is our peace. And why did he do this? His purpose was to create a new humanity so that there aren't different distinctions of Christians. So one of the reasons that I'm not very keen at times on my robes, I have robes, they live in my wardrobe, and I don't mind other people who wear them, but I don't love them because I almost feel it's kind of making divisions in God's people, and there shouldn't be any divisions. Most of our divisions, by the way, are in our heads, aren't they? Like, I'm not the same as other people because, I'm not as good a Christian because, yeah? God wouldn't want me here because, and we can feel like that in all sorts of ways, But God says, he has brought us near by Jesus. That's the only way that we come, because Jesus died and rose, and so you are brought near. God isn't the sort of person who would invite you along and say, no, sit at the back. <laughs> you can only come this far. He's not like that. He wants us all to be able to come close to him. We are citizens. We are members of his household. 
Now, I don't know what it's like in your house, in my house, uh, we have kind of two groups of people. We have those who ring the doorbell, and we have those who have a key. Broadly speaking, I suppose the people from your house are divided into the same things. The visitors, they don't have a key, they press the doorbell. Those people with a key should use the key. We keep trying to work on the second bit. (laughs) You've probably got the people in your house too who ring the doorbell and you're like, it's in your bag, (laughs) can you just get it out and use it? But the image as I was praying this morning, thinking, you know, we've got the key. Like God says, your family You've got the key to coming into my presence, and that key is Jesus, and the key never gets changed. He never changes the locks and says, oh no, now there's a new way that you come in. People over the history of Christianity at times have tried to change it and say, well, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus going to church. It's Jesus plus good behavior. It's Jesus plus rotors. It's Jesus plus something else. And while we all would want to work hard to see God's kingdom come and the world transformed, the key to coming close is always, always Jesus. So maybe just take a moment for yourselves before I move on. Is there anything else in your life that you think is kind of creeping in and pretending to be the key? Anything else that you look at and you think, oh, maybe that's starting to be in my own head, the thing where I think, oh, I can only come close to God if this. Because the key is only Jesus. So just take a little moment to have a pray before we move on a little bit. The key is always, always Jesus. We are, though, members of his household, and we are being built together. And you might look at the people next to you and think, that's great. Or you might look at the people next to you and think, I'm not so sure I want to be cemented to this one. But we are being built as a family, as people together. And so we are not just called individually. The Bible doesn't really have an individual term that it uses for individuals. Like We are called as family. We are called as church. We are called as people together. And so there's a role that we have in each other's lives. We are meant to be encouraging each other. We're meant to be alongside each other. We're meant to be loving each other, as I'm sure that we are. And all of this is so that we become somewhere where God is welcomed. I love that last bit where he dwells according to his spirit, that he's kind of in amongst us. I don't know if I went and surveyed our area and said, what's All Saints known for? What do you reckon they'd say? Car parking, brilliant. Okay, maybe, right? What if I had better answers than that? It could be the people who can't park. I've been sent photos before, by the way, and it's quite funny. What else? What else are we known for as a church? Toddlers, great. We are known for toddlers. We have good toddlers groups. What else are we known for? Connect, yeah. So we're somewhere where you can come to connect and you'd have a lunch and you'd make friends. Brilliant. We're known for youth. Like a lot of churches recognize that the stuff we do with youth is amazing and I think it really is. We're known for music. But we have really good music, really good worship here. But the... Sorry? Puppets. Do you know, I didn't know that we did puppets until I moved up. You kind of played that low on the profile. And when I arrived, I was like, oh, right, puppets, yes. But they're great, aren't they? And I've seen, I was sceptical of puppets, I have to say. But I've come to know how they can share the news of Jesus with people and do it in a way that's actually easier at times. 
But the thing I love us to be known for most is that there's something of God there. That people would go, that's where, amongst these people, whether in this building or elsewhere, people from all saints are the people in pursuit of God. They're the people who are hungry for God. They're the ones who are trying to be formed like Jesus. And so these are, if you like, that's how we get to the starting blocks of our Christian life. The key is Jesus. He loves us. He died for us. And so we're forgiven and welcomed. But I wonder what happens next. What is the kind of next stage? And really, that's what Abby and I are going to focus on next. How do we pursue uh, our Christian life? What does it mean to move forwards? And so we go on to our second passage, which is the one from Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If I asked you what you're devoted to this morning, I wonder what you would say. I'm devoted to eating. Love it. Get grumpy without it. I'm devoted to breathing. I'm devoted to my family. I'm devoted to, you might be devoted to all sorts of things. But this is what the early disciples were devoted to. The word means to continue without leaving, to keep close company with, to be alongside, to be attentive to. It's a word to describe something that is at the front and center of your life. And so you might have noticed in the passage what they are devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. That was all they had. Like the teachings of the earliest disciples who said, we knew Jesus and this is what it was like. And that's what we've got in our Bible. We've been reading Brother Andrew. Have any of you read his autobiography? Yeah, a few of you. The Bible Smuggler. And he went and took Bibles all over the world. And we've been reading as a family with my kids, actually, how people cried when they received their Bible, about how people will risk death to receive a Bible. And it's just made us come back to it again and go, we need to value this. This needs to be front and center in our lives. They devoted themselves to sharing bread and wine together. Do you know communion, when we share bread and wine, has to be done by me or a minister here? But sharing bread and wine, you can do wherever you like. So feel free to do it in your life groups, with your Christian friends around your table. If you're having a meal with some other Christians in the next coming weeks, feel free to say, we'll get out some bread and wine and we'll share it together. That's one of your kind of birthrights as a Christian, that meal that bonds you together. And I was kind of mulling over the hacker in this. Communion's less aggressive than a hacker, you have to say. But that idea that there's something that's part of our identity that says, this is who we are. If I did the hacker, they'd probably find it offensive, because I'm not part of that group, am I? It's not really a marker of my identity. But communion is part of ours as Christians, and so we can share that bread and wine that helps us to know that we are part of Jesus' family. They devote themselves to prayer it was in their lives every day. They knew that God worked through prayer. And of course, the one that I've missed is fellowship, which is the one that we'd like to focus on a bit more today. So if you just turn to your neighbor, if you said the word fellowship, what comes to mind? Right, how many of you have got this? 
A few of you, yeah? Lord of the Rings. A few of you had this, yeah? I love this. The Fellowship of the Ring. Tolkien, by the way, was a Christian. So when he wrote it, I don't know if he had this in mind, but if you've ever, if you kind of come across the film or read the book or whatever, it's the story of really different people from different races and tribes, and they come together in order for that one purpose of destroying the Ring of Gondor. And so they don't just kind of come together for a day and then go away again. Like they actually are doing it together. They have a common purpose. They work with each other. They criticize each other at times. Sometimes they argue. But they are a fellowship. There's a bond between them. And they make a sort of oath at the start. I kind of think we could learn some stuff from that as Christians. That we are a fellowship. People bonded together. It's not just that we happen to have the same faith. But there's something about us that links us to one another. And in the middle of that, I think discipleship happens. That process of becoming disciples of Jesus. But... Alan Hirsch, who you might have heard of, he's a very um, sort of well-known theologian, someone who looks at discipleship, and he says this, and I'd like you to think, is it true or not? The Western church has forgotten the art of disciple-making and has reduced it to the assimilation of theological ideas. Now, to put it in more straightforward language, has the Western church forgotten how to make disciples and instead thought... The way I make a disciple is, this is what Christians think, this is what not Christians think, and the aim of making a disciple is to take these people here and make them think this stuff. Yeah? So maybe just have a quick talk to each other. Is it true? Is that what, how we've perhaps got a bit lost in discipleship? And how has that happened and could we get out of it again? So have a little think. It's a bit more of a difficult question. Bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Okay, so can I say uh, five means I think he's absolutely right. One is he's absolutely wrong. So give us a finger score. Is he absolutely right or absolutely wrong or somewhere in the middle? What do you reckon? Yeah. So actually we've got quite a lot of fours and fives in the room. So maybe it's become a brain thing. Which begs the question, what is discipleship? And so, as I've kind of been mulling over this and have read an awful lot about it, being a disciple means that you're starting to think and talk and approach life as Jesus would do. So you've got his attitudes, you've got his perspective on things. When you hit a situation, you're starting to react like Jesus would do in a situation, starting to pray like Jesus would do. You're finding that you're being gradually changed to be a bit more like Jesus. And that's what discipleship is. It's not just I've ticked off all of the creedal statements and I agree with what Christians think. It's I'm actually being transformed to becoming more like Jesus. 
And there's different ways that that might happen. So just to start by thinking of scales, um, four different scales of Christian community. And I wonder which are most helpful in transforming us to becoming like Jesus. Is it the big one, which that's a picture of new wine? Is it when you've got 4,000 people in a room? Is that what transforms you? I love it because you're worshipping with other people. You've often got great teaching. You're often being encouraged. I love it. I'm not convinced that that's the main way we get transformed. It might be that's the bottom left. This is us picture of us. So we're somewhere between 40 and 160, depending on which thing you go to during the week. Is that where you get transformed? In a Maybe. We worship here. We get to hear Bible teaching. Maybe that's a bit of it. It might be top right. I know most of our life groups don't meet in the woods, but that was the best picture I could find. Maybe it's in those groups. Can I say only will it happen in those groups if we're focused on the right things? Like life transformation, asking those questions. Where's God been in your week? How is your image of him changing? It doesn't work if we're all trying to be the best Bible knowledge person in the room. Like that's a little bit of it, knowing the Bible, but life transformation is the bigger picture. But the last one, the one-to-one, is the one that Abby and I are going to think a bit more about with you this morning. And the reason for it is that Uh, Abby talked to our staff team a few weeks ago about how she's been discipled one-to-one and we all went, none of us have had that. I wonder if that's true for everybody else. Yeah? Mark Ireland, who wrote this brilliant book, which I'd recommend to you, you can come and have a look at it at the end, writes, nowadays all sorts of people have mentors or coaches from CEOs to large organisations to newly qualified teachers or troubled teenagers in danger of reoffending. Yet one place we may struggle to find a personal mentor or coach is your local church, despite Jesus Christ being the all-time exemplar of the servant coach. Striking, isn't it? So Jesus taught big, Sermon on the Mount, feeding the 5,000. He taught 12, the disciples. He taught 72. But he also taught in individuals as well. And you might think of people like Peter, who denied Jesus, and then Jesus restored him in a one-to-one situation. And there's a lot of that that Jesus does. So we're going to see if we can pick Abby's brain about some of what she's been involved with. That's helped her with this. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to start off by sharing a little bit about my journey on discipleship, um, one that I've been really, really blessed by. Um, If you remember, if you were here last week, Catherine and Abby were speaking about um, raising up others in faith um, and how important it is. And I think you can do that in two really main ways, like indirectly. So maybe through a teacher or I have um, soccer coaches and captains, parents, um, those life group leaders. But you can also do it like really directly and really intentionally. Um, And I've been really blessed by that. So this is my discipleship family tree. This is my discipleship chain. Uh, The first woman you see, Kiki, um, is on staff at my church back home in the States. Um, She had people that discipled her and went before her that I don't personally know. Um, But yeah, Kiki kind of started discipling a girl called Katie. And then Katie discipled a girl called Abby Philgrove. And then Abby Philgrove has discipled me. And we really just like sat down and like, Abby, Abby discipled me, and she sat down with me and just would ask me about life, and we could just talk together. Um, but these women are really special because not only did they, um, not only did each one of them pour into the next, but then they also led together. 
So what's really interesting is Kiki and Katie led a small group together. Abby was in that small group. Abby and Katie led a small group. I was in that small group. That's the bottom picture. And so, like, not only can you pour into someone, but then you can also, like, lead with them and, and learn from them. So this is a bit about my family tree that I was, I was super blessed by. But then I want it to keep going. I don't want this chain to end. So I want to pour into people, and then I want to see those people pour into others and meet with others, and I want it to keep going. Um, and I really decided to start discipling other people younger than me really by a push from a friend. They were like, you know, you have so much to offer, like, Jesus has really moved in you, like, how can you not, like, why would you not, like, this is so key, like, this is exactly what Jesus did, and this is exactly what he asked us to do um, in the Great Commission, Um, and so that day, or the next day, I asked a girl from my church back home in the States, I was like, hey, would you be interested in, like, meeting for a coffee, and maybe we could, like, talk about Jesus together, and she goes, oh, you'll never believe it, me and my mom actually prayed. Uh, to step up and offer it. So um, you never know how stepping up uh, could really lead to another chain of generations of followers of Jesus. So I've prepared four questions, but you might have more. So we'll start with my four. And then if you've got other questions you want to ask, feel free. Can you just give me a wave if you have got one person that you meet who does this for you? Right, so two of us, three of us, right? Okay, so here's the questions. How did you end up linked to these people, and was there a sort of agreement how it would work? Yeah, so this chain, it wasn't like Kiki was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen. It, it just happened by, um, by leading small groups and getting to know people, um, and this specifically was really intentional. I, I asked Abby, I was like, hey, I really admire your faith. Like, would you, like, meet with me and tell me more about that? Like, can we, can we learn together? Um, and so it was, like, an intentional asking um, and setting up, like, what we're going to do and how often we're going to meet and what works for their schedule um, and everything like that. Great. Uh, second question. When you met, what sort of things did you talk about? Yeah, so when I was meeting with Abby, um, when I was, like, young teenager Abby, to be honest, most of the things I wanted to talk about had to do with boys or school, or friendship group drama, or like this, you know, falling out I had with my sibling. Um, But what was really great is she would just like help me see Jesus in those situations, like all these little things of life, like, you know, what's going on at school, or friends, or or boys, anything like that. And she would point me to Jesus and all of it. Um, But she would also like sit down and be like, what has God been teaching you? Like, do you want to read the Bible together? Like, how is your Bible reading going on your own? And what did you learn at church on Sunday? And how's that impacting you? Um, And ask me really direct questions um, as well. Uh, Are there things that you learn about how to have a good mentoring conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So each of these women, like, I can't tell you exactly what they said to me. They said a lot of great things. Um, But I can tell you that they really listened Um, And that's what I remember most is that they would just sit there and they would just listen to me with, you know, my head full of emotions as a teenager. And they would just listen to me um, and they would then say, okay, like this is, you know, this is what the Bible has to say. This is what Jesus has to say. And like this is how we can move from there. So um, I do remember lots of their advice as well, but I also just remember them just listening to me. um, And that was made me feel so valued and and heard at that young age. Um, and really impacted me. And in thinking about mentoring someone else, is there like a sort of training that you might need to do that or things to remember? Yeah, I think 
I think you don't need a specific training. I think you just need a love of Jesus and a love of other people and a passion to see that in the next generation. Um, yeah, so no training needed, really just a love for Jesus. Um, if you want to see, like, how it works, just open your Bible and see how Jesus talked with people one-on-one, -on -one, how he listened and how then he um, spoke in response and how he asked questions to his disciples. Um, and really just be a listening ear. Um, I know that all these women were very chatty and had lots of things to say, but they chose to sit and listen um, and then speak life. And it's not just for young people. I think Jesus did that with everybody. So is there anything else you'd like to ask? Take a minute to have a think. Go for it. How often did you meet? Yeah, I, when I met with Abby, we met like once a month. Um, I wish it had been more. Um, I have a mentor now through Tees Valley Youth for Christ, and we meet every single week because I know that's what I need because I'm, I'm serving in youth. I'm always giving out, and I need to be poured into. Um, so I think it just depends on what your need is, what the schedule is, um, and what works for both people. But I think like every other week is like a really solid goal. Cool. Anything else? Yeah, Pam? Brilliant. So how would you initiate or how would you start off a pairing? Yeah, I think it first of all starts with prayer. I think if whether you're looking for someone to mentor you or you're looking for someone to mentor, like just ask God to reveal that person. And then once you have an idea of who that is, I'm, I think it can be awkward and odd at first, but just be like, hey, listen, <laughs> I've been praying and I, and I think I've heard this from God that like, like, would you be willing to meet up and just ask them? Um, very rarely have I had someone be like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk. Like, most people are willing to sit down and have a chat about God and about life. Um, so just ask them if they'd be willing to start, go for one meetup to see how it goes, and then you can kind of develop from there. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if you've got a family with some Christians and some not? Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, um, with safeguarding, you would need parent permission for all of that. Um, but in my experience, most of the time, I think parents are pretty like, oh, okay, here's this person who wants to help my child and pour into their life. Um, so you do have to take it step by step. Maybe you have to have some conversations with parents or however that situation looks like. Um, but you can always ask God to move. And um, I've personally like seen this exact situation. Like He does move, he does work, and it can happen. But I think if you're wanting to mentor a child or a young person, then talk to us first. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because we'll make it, we'll, we can make sure that happens. Yeah, well, if you just talk to us first, but if you're talking to an adult, you're already, you know, we don't need to have a structure for that, that's fine. Any other questions? Any things you're wondering about? Yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, great question. At this time, like when Kiki started to meet with people, I don't know if it was. I think she just, like, I think she uh, experienced how the benefit of, like, discipleship, and that was something that she wanted to give um, out to others. I think uh, something that really encouraged it was all those small groups um, and, like, those life groups, and then from that came, like, the one-on-one -on -one stuff. 
Um, I think it definitely should be something that churches, like, encourage, and I know they are now, but I don't think, like, someone told Kiki, like, you need to do this. It was something that she, like, felt called to do, um, which, which is, I think it's great either way. Thank you. So if you're thinking about it, some of it is how can I form, maybe you look at someone else and you think, oh, I really like their faith, so I just want to kind of meet with them and, and kind of think about the whole deal. Or you might think, oh, they have a gift of whatever, and I'd like to develop the same sort of gift. And so you might say, well, I want to start meeting with you. So there's all different ways it could work, and it can be from the person who is being mentored who says, I'd like to learn from you, or it could be the other way around, that you have got in your head someone that you think, oh, maybe God's bringing them across my path, and maybe I could ask them, would they like to meet up? I'm going to leave a bit of quiet. Um, I finished what I was going to say. So perhaps we can just spend a bit of time in prayer and thinking about these questions. Father, we thank you first for that journey that you took us on to get on the starting blocks of our Christian life. The way that we realise that Jesus is the key. That he is the one who came and died and rose. That we could be forgiven and become part of, God, your family. But we pray, God, now for our own discipleship. We pray, God, that you bring to mind people that we might be involved in mentoring or coaching even if we feel we're not quite ready yet, or people that we'd love to speak into our lives. Lord, bring their faces to mind now, we pray.